Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Pushkin. Just a year ago, it might have seemed strange for a black woman from England to record a country album in Nashville. But then, Old Town Road held down the top spot on Billboard's Hot 100 for a record-breaking 19 weeks, and black folks started reconnecting with their country roots on Twitter. You couldn't have seen it coming. Take it from the black kid whose first concert was Garth Brooks and was teased mercilessly for it. But Yola's having a great year, singing on stage with legends like Willie Nelson and Dolly Parton, working with Brandy Carlisle and the High Women, even getting a shout-out from Kendall Jenner on Twitter. She spent years singing with folks like the Chemical Brothers, Massive Attack, and her band Phantom Limb in England. But after connecting with Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys, her grand artistic vision came to life. Soulful country, the way it used to be. This is Broken Record Season 3, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Just a quick note here. You can listen to all of the music mentioned in this episode on our playlist, which you can find a link to in the show notes. For licensing reasons, each time a song is referenced in this episode, you'll hear this sound effect. All right, enjoy the episode. Bruce Headlam met with Yola in New York over the summer. She'd been up late the night before doing a performance at YouTube Studio in Chelsea. But she showed up anyway, with two members of her band ready to play some songs, talk about working with Dan Arbach, and about how surviving a house fire inspired her to write her new album, Walk Through Fire. She opened with a song from that record, Right Out in the Country. Well, that was Right Out in the Country by Yola. 
Welcome to Broken Record. Thank you so much for coming. Ah, oh, thank you so much for having me. And thanks to your two bandmates who came along. Yes. Yeah, this is Anthony DeCosta and Jerry Bernhardt. Jerry is still grimacing over that last note he hit oh, on the Fender. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah, you know, it was a it was a it was a choice. <laughs> it was a choice. It was a choice I made. And- <laughs> <laughs> Not an act. A questionable no one at the very in the studio. The well, we know we like these. Uh, it was an emotional thing, you know. Yeah, it was. I, I was still, I was still bleeding a little bit out on this roads here. I had one more little finger drop to do. Right. Okay. One more thing to say. Yeah. If you do, you want to keep going because you could. If there's more to say on the fender, please. <laughs> uh, That'll yeah. Do could it. you guys clear the room? Actually, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> got some stuff to just let out. Um. No. Yoli, you wrote that song. Did you write that by yourself or was that? Um, this one was um, co-written by, with myself and uh, Dan Auerbach. And we made a habit of inviting fine gentlemen to help us write songs. Bobby Wood helped us write and Joe Allen helped us write and Dan Penn helped us write and Pat McLaughlin helped us write. Um, and so we were really spoiled rotten when it came to co-writers in this case uh joelle now no disrespect to those other gentlemen but you co-wrote with dan penn yes uh who wrote i'm uh, your puppet yes do right woman, woman yes dark uh, end of the street of course for uh james carr i think yeah and uh, heaven knows who i have many gazillion other people mm-hmm. sang that song and uh obviously him and spooner Oldham's represent right. reputation is just lifelong. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what was that like to sit in a room with Dan Penn? It was surreal is what it was um, because I came into the room and you know when you think, I swear I just saw somebody <laughs> <laughs> that I that I recognized just a little bit too keenly and so you do first, first you don't believe it and then you're like, oh okay so that is who I thought I saw. Yeah. Now let me back up. What where was the room, first of all? Oh, so the room was Easy Eye Sound Studio in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And that's Dan Auerbach's studio. Yes, it is, yeah. And then what was the process of writing after that? Um, sit down at a table with guitars and start strumming at each other until <laughs> I I'm, I've started by telling uh a story specifically in that session about a house fire I was in. Um, oh, can you tell us a story and then we'll go back to the writing room, but yeah. what, what was the story itself? Well, um, we were just thinking about, okay, so what were you writing about? And they were just like, so Dan was like, tell me a bit about yourself. And I'm like, well, whew, I've been talking about myself quite a lot over the past few days, but uh, I suppose I haven't talked about this. I was in a house fire recently and he's like, okay, that's a thing. And I was like, yeah, well, um, it was kind of Christmas um, 2014 going into 2015. And uh, I was just getting ready, getting the house ready, wrapping some presents. And your house is where? Um, in Bristol, UK. Okay. And uh, so I'm wrapping and I'm getting ready to wrap this present for a friend of mine. That's a bioethanol burner. And I'm, I'm sorry, like, it's, a, it's a... a bioethanol burner. It's oh, like okay. a table centerpiece type thing. Right. It lets out a little heat, you know. Mm-hmm. You put a bit of uh, bioethanol fuel in it. It's like a natural accelerant. And uh, then it lets out a little flame not too dissimilar to a candle. And so I just thought, oh, let's make sure I've just got it in the post. Let's make sure it works. And it worked just fine. I put a bit of bioethanol in there. It worked just great. Problem was that the canister that had the bioethanol in it had a little leak around the kind of cap. 
And so when I lit it, it worked perfectly. I was like, that looks nice. Okay. And then the little bit of fire catches a little drip and it catches the canister. The canister goes up. Um, It's been dripping on my dress as I kind of move my hands towards that. And so my dress goes up and I'm a human torch at this point. Just, uh, and I'm in shock. And so the first thing I'm thinking is, I need to think of something worse than being on fire, which is quite a hard thought because <laughs> 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 it's not great. And uh, um, so I'm really thinking, how can I get out of this situation um, that I'm in, especially given that I'm in shock and I'm in static shock, so I'm not really moving or doing anything useful. And so I was like, okay, let's think of something worse because if I've got over that, I can get over this. And I thought of kind of the life I was enduring kind of, pre-29, pre-30, which was just highly misogynistic, highly, I'd say like the the brand of racism that purposefully disguises itself. So of a kind of a a wonderful brand of misogynoir and abuse and neglect and all sorts of things that made that part of my life just an utter misery. And I kind of thought back on that time and I was like, do you know what? I'd take my life now on fire any day of the week. And I started laughing so hard. I laughed myself out of static shock. And then I stopped, dropped and rolled and put myself out like you're supposed to. And wow. uh, that moment of just clearing out um, really felt like a moment of just being able to start again and being free. And so I told this story to Dan Penn and Dan Auerbach. And they looked at me like I was a mad woman. And I was like, well, we could write a song about that. And uh we kind of got on to writing the title track of the album. That's an incredible story. Yeah. And this comes up and they say, let's turn it into a song. What was that like? How did you turn that into a song then? Well, Dan Penn's kind of doing this thing of looking up into the ether, kind of mumbling. I call it like the mumble, right? Where you're not, you haven't got a predisposed plan of where, what you're going to do, but you're just kind of searching for it. So he's like, hmm. And just like searching, and people that write this way will go, and there's no sense to it. It's almost like babble, and then words come out of the babble, you know. And so, yeah, sometimes you hear something, and it's not what the person was thinking of saying. And so, like, I think the song appeared that way. It's amazing to hear that Dan Penn, the great songwriter, that's how he just sits down, noodles, and Mm-hmm. and nonsense lyrics and well, it, and it, something they, emerges? Yeah, but it's almost like you're looking for vowels and then the, there's a meaning somewhere kind of in the recess of your mind, you know, and what you're doing is you're searching for that elegant meaning in the recess of your mind instead of trying to muscle it with the prefrontal cortex, you know. And I think like some of like the most elegant ways of writing come from just aesthetically moving through things that feel like they belong together and moving through vowels that feel like they belong together through kind of feelings that you're searching for that feel like they need to be said, you know. Do you ever feel something blocking that, even in a room with other writers? Like, it depends how comfortable you are in that environment. If you feel comfortable, then, like, there is, it's just a conversation, it's just connection you know um it's the same when 
you can get so much more out of everything you do, be it writing, be it doing a vocal, be it playing a show. The more that you feel connected to the people that you're working with, the more you see your potential rise. And and so, like, that's everything that I'm trying to do with my life. Um, certainly since is make deeper connections to people that I'm working with and make a more familial energy. And that familial energy always leads back to me being more productive. Like there are instances in which I've found myself in these environments where I've surpassed what I thought I could do that day. Now, in the case of that song, Walk Through Fire, did did you, were you able to finish it that day? Yeah. Like we wrote 30 songs thereabouts in a space of about five days. When we were in a song, like, The flow was supernatural. We'll be back with more from Yola after this break. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast, Audible invites you to enter The Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. We're back with more of Bruce's interview with Yola. 
Now, uh, people who've heard your songs on country music stations may be wondering, uh, trying to place your accent in the southern United States. Um, I know. Because there are round R's in my accent. Mm-hmm. If I say the word R, you can hear it. R. Um, and that's also you've got a hint me of, saying it. Yeah, it's a hint of where I'm from, you see. Mm-hmm. Bristol. Bristol. Now, the did home you, were you, were you, of Blackbeard, the pirate, no less. I didn't know that. Yes, okay. hence the accent. Mm-hmm. Some people think pi- um, Bristolians sound like pirates. On, au contraire, pirates sound, sound like Bristolians. Bristolians right. <laughs> so now, were you, were you born in Bristol? Yes. Okay. And which, for people who don't know, Bristol, it's on the West it, Coast? It was, it was a big coast it's city? It's like a, a port town. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Port City, not too far from Cardiff and Wales, so it's on the west, about two hours' drive mm-hmm. west of London. Tell me about growing up in Bristol. So uh, I went to like high school in Bristol, but uh, I grew up, um, I suppose, kind of elementary school in a small town, still in the kind of postcode, but 12 miles outside of Bristol. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were you know, one of a very small number of people of colour in that environment. And it was a very right-leaning town at the time, or village at the time. And so, like, the usual things that you kind of get used to in life of that stare when you walk into any shop and kids learning kind of the N-word from their parents and their parents having maybe the wherewithal to not say it, but the kids, not quite. But you know everyone's saying it when you're not there kind Mm -hmm. of thing, which is very British way to be. You know, we're not very out and out with our prejudice. Um, It's all just everything you ever try and do is kind of slightly affected slash heavily affected by people's opinions, people's assumptions of you, people's um, um, surprise that you can speak the English language clearly. And what was high school like then? Well, I was like the poor kid in a kind of, well, a borderline almost rich kid school, not quite. I tried going to a regular school and it cost, we just didn't have any money. We used to kind of like get food out of the supermarket bins and stuff. And my mum had like four or five jobs at any one time. And I was a latchkey kid, you know. And Mm -hmm. so it was one of those situations where it dawned on us that trying to pass an entrance exam and go to a school where you could get everything paid for might actually buy me some meals. (laughs) Um, We could actually eat without having to kind of lean on any of the neighbours to buy extra kind of Avon makeup. My mum was also an Avon lady. And <laughs> I'd like that any way in which she could lean on people, it was just like the hustle was real with that woman. I mean, <laughs> so uh, yeah, like anything that gave us like maybe a little, her a bit more breathing space would was seen as a benefit. And me and my sister were stone cold nerds. And so uh, um, we did the entrance exams to like, I did a grammar school kind of thing. My sister went to a girls school and we had to pass over, I know, I think like 90 something percent to be able to get everything taken care of. We had to do that and also be sufficiently poor enough. And we we knew we had poor covered. (laughs) (laughs) What, how did the interest in music start? Uh, The birth canal. Yeah, just straight out. (laughs) <laughs> straight out like singing and speaking were simultaneous and so uh i don't have a living living memory of not singing and i used to dance a lot as well and 
So just I had a very much like a performing arts kind of feel as just like I'm talking three and four. This is just normal for me to what were be you singing? singing. Just everything, like whatever was in the charts. So I could be singing like something that was like R&B, like, or and I say not rhythm and blues, but like modern R&B, like Brownstone or something. And then I could be singing Elton John and then I could be singing Nirvana and then I could be singing like... There was no kind of continuity and the charts weren't really like that. It was very like you could be anywhere kind of, certainly in the UK, the charts were all over the shop. Mm -hmm. You could have like Beck and Bjork in the charts and then just something unbelievably poppy and then something unbelievably country. It's funny because the charts here are not like that. The charts here are very regulated by genre. And they were like, they are like that in the UK a lot more now. Oh, was that right? Yeah. But um, okay. in the 90s, it was like a free-for-all. And so it, it kind of manufactures eclecticism. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people from maybe my generation specifically experienced that having like the most crazy kind of mixtapes where you're like, oh, I really love KRS-One and I really love Blur. <laughs> How's this all going to go together? And you don't care, you know? And so I think that gave people license to release music that maybe was a little uh, more kind of left field. And what was the country music that got your attention then? Uh, well, for me, um, Dolly got my attention. My mother was a Dolly fan. And so that got me early doors. Do you remember what the Dolly song was that you um, first loved? Yeah, it was uh, Jolene. It was uh-huh. the album Jolene that got me straight away. And I was like, I just loved the feel of it. I loved the groove of it. And did, did you... the pleading nature of it. I noticed when I sang it, it didn't feel... When I used to kind of sing R&B, it didn't feel natural in my body to sing. And then I'd sing Jolene and it felt more natural in my body to sing. And I was like, that's weird. And I'll just put that to a side. Let's deal with that later. That's a whole can of worms. <laughs> yeah, um, it was a whole can of worms. Although, like, certainly when I got older, it dawned on me that I, that was weird. Um, apparently <laughs> that was weird. Um, it felt it felt more natural to sing those songs. And I was into Aretha. I listened to a lot of Aretha's I like a child my mum was into that as well and that really like again like it's impossible not to be fascinated by her as a singer and as a writer and a player but I saw more similarity between certainly the kind of the spiritual side of her music the gospel side Young Gifted and Black was probably the first record that I kind of got um, attached to because I'd never heard anything addressed to a black child before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, do, do you sing in church? Did you go to church? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm from England. It ain't the same. <laughs> it's all like, all things bright and beautiful. It's so stiff. Um, there are churches that are a bit less stiff, but it isn't. It is not Al Green, I'll tell you that right now. When you, Because you played uh, right out in the country, which has that Southern kind of American feel and the way Southerners feel about the country and wide open spaces. Mm-hmm. Here you grew up in the sort of suburbs around Bristol. Yeah. What, that whole frame of reference that you find in Dolly Parton and a lot of country music, what did that mean to you growing up? Because you're uh, in a very, very different place. Well, kind of. And so 
Bristol, if you've if anyone that's visited Bristol, um, it falls away to countryside somewhat immediately. And so even though I wasn't very far outside, it doesn't take five minutes from the edge of Bristol for it to be instant countryside. So by the time you get 12 miles out, at the time of me growing up anyway, I was in a village that was maybe two horseshoes of houses, um, one of which had a shops kind of linking one horseshoe to the other, a set of shops. And like you could count them on both hands. It was not a big place. And then predominantly surrounded by small farms and a high school. And that was it, you know. And so my kind of um, growing up environment was very much kind of climbing trees and whittling and fishing and hide and seek in tall grass fields and such things that were not city kids ways of growing up mm-hmm. so that part of country music the wide open space is that that made sense to you yeah that was just how i grew up you know we didn't really have any stuff <laughs> <laughs> like and i had friends that had like you know toys and things i had one bald my little pony that we used to call my little skinhead <laughs> <laughs> My sister will love this. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, she used to eat plastic. And my my mom was like, your sister eats plastic. So um, you can't have a My Little Pony with hair. And I'm like, it's the whole point of the thing. Why would you do this to me? Anyway, she shaves the thing's head. And so, and then promptly my sister starts chewing on it, of course. And so I'm like, great. That's that's the only nice thing I had. Why can't we have nice things? Do you want to do another song? I'd no? really love to. Okay. We'd like to do that title track for you. Please. This one is called Walk Through Fire. That was the title track off Yola's new record, Walk Through Fire. We'll be back with more of an interview with Bruce after the break. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast, Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. We're back with Yola and Bruce. You are scheduled, I think, to play at the Ryman. Yes. Uh, the Ryman, the, the home of country music. That sure is what it is. What do you think that's going to be like? I have no idea. <laughs> you are, you know, country music has not historically had a lot of black performers. And typically the ones, I guess other than Charlie Pride, have people who've made their bones in other, in other like mm. Tina Turner did a did a, a good country yeah. album. Ray Charles, of course, did. Pointer Sisters, yeah. Pointer that's true, yeah. Mm, that fairy tale song's real. Uh-huh. <laughs> Arthur Crudup, I guess, yeah. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, staples to a degree, huh? I guess that's true, too. Yeah. You've got some Mavis Staples in your voice, too. Mm-hmm. Was she, was that, she... was, that definitely was a massive influence. Mm-hmm. Mavis, Mavis helped me understand my voice, because I didn't hear a lot of people that were, you know, at that gruffness. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like a bit of a vocal weirdo. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yeah, so she helped her. me out in that way. Mm-hmm. Have you met her? Um, yes. Uh, we played Luck Reunion together. What was that like? Amazing. Um, yeah. It's uh, on Willie Nelson's ranch. Mm-hmm. And uh, we all, she did like a last song and she invited uh, everyone up from that had been playing that stage that day, which were all women, all singer-songwriters in their own right and amazing musicians. And we got up and we sang with her. And invariably, each one of us hugged her before we went off, just like... <laughs> Just like drawn into the majesty of her kind of warmth and her kind of very natural way. Yeah, she's uh, the saying, never meet your heroes unless your heroes, Mavis, is right. Is that a saying? That is a <laughs> yeah, great I've saying. Yeah, I've heard it before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is it important to you that country music, mainstream country music, embraces what you do? Uh, for me, um, I'm eclectic. And I say that word all the time because it's true. I love classic pop music. As much as I love classic soul music, as much as I love classic country and classic rock music. So it's so important to uh, make sure that I'm accepted everywhere, not just exclusively within that. I don't think sonically, when you listen to this record, that's the only thing you hear. 
by any stretch of the imagination. It's just that it maybe pokes out more because I'm a woman of colour. That people are like, so country. And I'm like, yeah, what about the other things? But it sticks out that much because of who I am, you know. If I was someone else, maybe less so. When you started being a professional in music, how did you approach it? What what did you do? Well, uh, the first um, professional job I probably took was a jazz gig. I had a friend in school. Uh, well, actually, I was going to a different school, but I had a friend in school who had a... Uh, like someone she grew up with who um, was also a kid and played sax and they were kind of looking for someone to sing on this show and they'd had their singer drop out or something and so they just were they were looking for somebody and I kind of got the call they're like hey you know you love that you sing all the time do you want to come and do this show and I was probably about 14 at the time and I was like, I'm a kid. How am I going to do this show? And he goes, I was okay. My friend's, you know, 16. <laughs> his mom's going to be taking him. So I go with uh, him and his mother and do these jazz gigs. And uh, Were they like standards you'd be singing? or Yeah. And sometimes it was standards. It was a lot of like um, Ella Fitzgerald type stuff, you know, maybe a little bit of Etta, but lots of Ella. Then just maybe some kind of ad-libbing type stuff. I'd done none of this before. And I was very fortunate to have a lot of talented people um, in the environment. We had uh, uh, one of uh, James Brown's kind of famed players living locally. And so there was Mm -hmm. quite a strong jazz scene there. And some of the players from Portishead also played kind of jazz as well. Um, The band Portishead is supposed to work up. And (laughs) (laughs) so there was always kind of quite, uh, certainly in Bristol, You'd have players, and certainly on like my UK band side, people that played jazz, and then people that played an Afrobeat band, played in a English folk band, played in a Balkan folk band, played in like a country band, and played in a rock and roll band. People always had very kind of eclectic backgrounds, so you could go, "Hey, um, we need to play this with something that feels like disco," and they're like, "Straight in." <laughs> uh, we need to play something now that feels like a country waltz. Oh, that's fine. Um, so, like, my start out in kind of jazz was probably a good fit, unbeknownst to me at the time, for broadening my palette further. And then when did you start writing and performing your own work? Um, well, I kind of moved from that to having, like, a school band that did mostly rock covers. And then I started toplining. And so this was, like... DJ producers that I bumped into that were looking for vocalists to write content and deliver and sing content. Um, and so it was for me, that was... Um, so explain what, what top lining is to people um, who don't. It's like lyrics and melody. And so the DJ producer environment, certainly for a long time, I imagine it's still the same now, was you'd have someone they'd be creating an instrumental backing track that they'd been DJing for a while in clubs and then they'd want to release it and sometimes they'd be feeling that there was something missing like maybe a vocal top line uh, lyrics and melody of some kind and so you were there to put a song to that backing track and so I first started with some school friends and then we got like a show at the local kind of academy which was probably about a thousand two thousand kind of capacity depending on how they arranged it and uh i was just kind of singing top lines that i'd kind of come up with and 
ad-libbing all sorts of things. And um, I got picked up by DJ who we were supporting. And um, I started writing top lines for him and a bunch of other people. So at that time, I also managed to get into a band called Phantom Limb. Mm -hmm. And in that environment, I wrote all of the top lines and it was all guitar based. And I was like, oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) And like, because I'd kind of started at kind of 14. By the time I got to 21, I was like, thank God, you know, as opposed to, you know, feeling any kind of level of pressure or anything, being the only top liner in that outfit. But we weren't necessarily the most prolific of bands, but we wrote two albums and I think that did a wonderful job for me having an environment to at least start on the path of this journey of involving the things that I grew up listening to. My love of Elton John, my love of classic soul, classic rock, um, classic country music, classic pop music. I think it took longer for classic pop and classic country and maybe even some classic soul to um, make its way into the first record. Was it difficult to get your ideas across then? Uh, I mean, well, it must, it must be hard lucky. to walk in and say, I'm influenced by Elton John. What about this and this song? Yeah, exactly. You know, and there was like a lot of kind of prejudice towards people that weren't kind of straight white cisgender men and in music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like, there were all sorts of things that I was just never going to get across. and But luckily I was eclectic enough that there are enough things within the straight white guy range. There's a lot of music. The canon that, of straight white guys yeah, you, could, exactly. you could draw on. <laughs> yeah, there's loads of music like by straight white guys that I liked, you know? <laughs> and like, you know, so like it was, it was possible to contribute um, and still be somewhat inspired, but I was definitely hobbled by my inability to go further. But I think still wrote some beautiful songs. I still rate those songs massively in my journey of towards what we're doing now. And that, did that lead directly to your your first EP? Uh, no, I took three years out, kind of by the time we got through kung fuing all the isms out of my way. Um, certainly in that environment anyway, I'd lost all love for music. I decided to just spend time horse riding and drinking cocktails. (laughs) Most of the time, I I think really, I was also kind of teaching at the time and lecturing um, vocal biomechanics at universities. And And, and how did you teach us? Did you, is that something you learned at college? How did you learn how to, how to work your voice? uh, Well, I had bilateral vocal nodules, um, which are essentially like corns that grow on your vocal cords through resistance, invariably at the front of the voice box where the cords are closest and are not always recognized as, but until you go to speech therapy, as a stress-related disorder. Did you just notice one day that you were having trouble singing or was it your speaking voice as well? Yeah, Um, like I had, I started losing, getting gaps in my range. So you go from the bottom and be like, ah. and there was just nothing there and when I realized that there was gaps in my range I was like I've never had that before and so that whole period of my life um, it dawned on me when trying to recover that there are people that knew a lot about speech therapy there are people that knew a lot about how to stylize singing but there weren't a lot of people that knew about the kind of muscular biomechanics of singing 
that were in music. There are people that did Alexander Technique that used, knew about the kind of osteopathy of it. Mm-hmm. Some people that got into the psychology of it a little bit with NLP, but certainly not to the level of sports psychology and performance I'm psychology. I'm sorry, NLP is? Oh, neuro-linguistic programming. Okay. That involved the muscle therapy you needed to kind of get the muscles into the right kind of condition. Then the kind of biomechanics of what I was doing both muscularly and with kind of the osteo side, and then eventually starting on the kind of psychological side and how that can kind of play into how your muscles react. And on kind of doing this, I couldn't sing for a year and a half when I lost my voice and I couldn't speak for two months. So I didn't really have a lot on. <laughs> when you, uh, you were approached by Dan Auerbach from mm-hmm. Black Keys about producing this album. Yeah. Now, you didn't know what that environment was going to be like. No, I did not. Did you meet with them and sort of suss out what you thought it might be like? Because if you're that dependent on environment, you know, it could work. It could be a disaster. Everything can be a lottery. Um, But that was the entirety of my, uh, that's more about my vocal performance. So it's about muscular outs, as it were. Like to a certain degree, creatively, you can feel stifled too. But it's muscularly, like my range can extend quite massively in the right environment. And so it's more muscular than it is creative. And I've been in a lot of situations. And probably the first 30 years of my life in (laughs) at least a number of situations that weren't conducive to me feeling joyful, but I definitely got through. So I knew that even if it was dreadful, I'd survive. (laughs) I was lucky that we had so much crossover musically that I was just like, I can finally relax that we're going to be moving creatively in the right direction. And it's not, that's not been something that I've been able to find very easily. People that want to pursue this kind of crossover, the kind of gray area between classic soul and classic rock and classic pop music and classic country music in the way that I want to. When When did you know it was a good environment? Uh, I think for me, when we were talking, so we had a, we didn't meet up, but we had a talk on the phone and that really felt like, um, I know that we're going to be creating like this sound that I've kind of been searching for ever since I was listening to my mum's records as a four-year-old. <laughs> so when you're writing songs, do those kind of arrangements, are they in your head while you're writing them? I think um, not all the time, not all the time. I think some, certainly with this situation, like you're working your way into figuring out what you want, what the song wants to be itself. I think we did a great job. Certainly uh, me and Dan made a point of not going in with any preconceptions of what we thought the song should be. Um, Not trying to force our own agenda onto the song. You weren't thinking this has got to have a Glenn Campbell vibe. No. And this has got to be Linda no, Rodstad. No, you'd find mm-hmm. it. You'd find it. It would speak to you. Once you'd written it, it would start speaking to you in that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, like maybe it ain't easier had I'd done a production of that because I kind of had a little bit of a kind of a sideline, kind of starting out producing. And uh, so I delivered that pretty much fully demoed up and that's not too dissimilar to the version that I did obviously way more money went into it and like (laughs) (laughs) um, but you know it's structurally it's very very similar to the demo I put together but I think just with all of the aching beauty and finesse that Dan is brilliant at adding to a song. Now once so you've got this album that in many ways was the music you had in your head Mm -hmm. growing up 
Does that mean the next album becomes something else? Or is, is this a style you want to stay with? Uh, you know, I'm thinking of a, an artist like Katie Lang, who did mm-hmm. first three or four albums were country, and then she did something very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, I have. Do you know what the, the the philosophy continues? I think the philosophy is less about mimicking a stylistic, and it's more about not forcing what wants to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if there's one thing that hopefully comes across, it's that I'm truthing real hard all the time and that needs to maintain that's the thing that I feel connects me to people when I'm singing um connects people to the work when they're listening to it I think at any point I start trying to manufacture what I think I should be doing then I start distancing myself from that connection that I'm building now with people mm-hmm. well you've worked very very hard at this for a long time yeah uh, yeah. This must be very satisfying. It is. I've said no to a number of things that could have been lucrative a lot earlier at the hand of what I thought I could do given the right environment. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very satisfied to be where I am, very grateful to be where I am, uh, very grateful to Dan for everything that he's given me the platform and the environment to do. And so... Yeah, I'm I'm a happy girl. That was Yola and her band playing some songs from her new record, Walk Through Fire, produced by the Black Keys' Dan Auerbach. You can check out more of her music by visiting brokenrecordpodcast.com and subscribing to our playlist for this episode. You can also sign up for our behind-the-scenes newsletter while you're there. Head to iamyola.com to keep tabs on when Yola will be heading through your town. Broken Record is produced with help from Jason Gambrell, Jacob Smith, and Mia Lovell. Our theme music is by the great Kenny Beats. Stay tuned for next week's episode with Wycliffe's John. This is Broken Record. I'm Justin Richmond. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today.